we, um, we finished our last preaching series just before Easter. And um, then we had our Easter services, our Easter celebration, which was brilliant. It was great to have baptism here on the Easter Sunday, and we look forward to more baptisms in the future. And um, then, as I say, I had a weekend away last week, and Paolo preached, which, was all, which is always a gift. And, um, and so, as we came out of the Easter period, I was thinking, okay, Lord, well, where do we go now? What now? Because sometimes we can, we can celebrate, we celebrate Christmas and when we have New Year and it's, it's a fresh start and, and it's very easy to move on. But sometimes with Easter, we get to, we get to the end of the Easter period and we, there's a danger that we can kind of just mark Easter and then move on without having been impacted by Easter. So I was thinking, well, what happened after the first Easter? Where did the disciples find themselves? What was, the, what was the overriding sort of emotions and the situation that people found themselves in? And how can, how can we learn from that? And so I've been praying a lot about the church, a lot about the, the shape and the model and, and what it is that, that, that makes us stand out, NCBC, as a church. What sets us apart? I was thinking about this. I was praying about this, and I found myself looking at our website. And on our website, some of you may know, some of you might not, um, we've, got, we've got a page which is called Our Beliefs. And on there, there's this series of, of statements. Now, we're just going to read through them. Um, so first of all, we're Bible-based and prayer-focused. We're spirit-led worshippers. We believe in sharing life in serving, in sharing our faith. We are committed to the community. We like being kingdom-inspired. And you look at those things and you think, great, fantastic. That's, that's a really good set of statements, a really good set of values. To identify ourselves as, uh, within all those statements is a really good thing. But then I thought, well, okay, I started having a look at other churches' websites. It turns out, believe it or not, that most churches claim to be Bible-focused and spirit-led and kingdom-inspired and they like serving the community and they like sharing their faith. And, and I thought, hang on a second. This is just a generic bunch of statements. Unless they truly do define what we are. You see, every church has a, a, set of, um, a set of statements like this, a set of values, and, and they are all very much the same. And the reason for that is because we're all based upon the, the model of church. We're all based upon the, the values that, that, that Jesus taught us, and so that's a good thing. And so to say they're generic is kind of missing the point a bit, isn't it? But actually, if we, if we say them and we stick them on our website and stick them on our buildings and everything, but then we don't actually remind ourselves of them every now and then and don't actually keep asking ourselves a question, well, well, is that what we are? Then they do just become a generic set of words, which mean nothing. 
So over the next seven weeks, we're going to take one by one each one of these statements, and we're going to examine what, what they meant for the early church, and they're going to, we're going to examine how the early church um, uh, identified within, within these statements, and then look at NCBC. How do we identify within these statements? What do they actually mean for us? How do we embody and encapsulate what we claim to? And I thought, well, the more I... The more I thought about it, the more excited I got. The more I felt that this, was, this is right for us to remind ourselves of who we are, of what we are, and then to build on that as well. We've got great potential within, within the people that God has, has brought into our church. We've got so many different skill sets, so many different approaches, so much experience. And hopefully as we go through this series, we can inspire one another. We can come up with new ideas and throw things into the mix. And we can say, hey, do you know what? I'd love to lead this ministry. And, and we can see new things happening and developing. New teams coming together. New ideas being explored. But to begin with today, I just wanted to have a look primarily at Acts chapter 1. Now, so much happens in Acts chapter 1. It's the last time that we, that we see the person of Jesus before the ascension. It's the first time that we meet the first new disciple. It's an exciting time, but it's also a time of confusion. You see... The disciples didn't quite know what was going on, didn't quite know what to make. They had this, this set of ideas and statements. They had a vague picture of, of what Jesus wanted them to be like, but they were having to work it out for themselves. This week, I had a, a conversation that, um, that I didn't expect to have. And for years, I've been trying to convince my father to get a smartphone. He's got one of these phones which he sort of taps out a message and several days later a carrier pigeon takes a telegram somewhere and, and it just takes forever. And you say, Dad, I've got a photo to send you. He says, oh, oh, great, I'll see it next time I see you. Well, no, if you had a smartphone, Dad, you could see it right now. Oh, I don't want one of them. Yes, you do. Anyway, eventually, he, said, he shocked me. It was, it was April the 2nd and he rang me and he said, he said, I've got a new phone. I've got a smartphone. I said, I'm not falling for that. I know what day. It was, it was April Fool's Day yesterday. I'm not, I'm not that stupid. And he said, no, really, I have. And, um, and eventually got it all set up. And this week, I, I sent him a WhatsApp message because I, I looked at WhatsApp and, it, and it, it said that he was active. And I, th I thought, surely not. And so I sent, I sent a message saying, Earth to Dad, are you receiving? And I got one back saying, yes. I thought, my goodness, this is a modern-day miracle. And um, uh, I said, great, I've got, um, I've, I've got a, a video that I'd like to send you. And my son and I had been down to the cricket nets at our local club, and we'd had a session. I'd taken just a two-minute video, and I thought, oh, I'll send it to Dad, he'd love to see that. And um, so I, I sent it, and because it was a long video, it took a little while to, to, um, to upload. And so um, it hadn't quite sent, and suddenly I got a video call from my, from my dad. Wow, he's worked out a video call. This is amazing. So I answered, and we had a little chat. And then my mum walked in, and she said, she said, Oh, is that Thomas? She's the only person in the world who calls me Thomas. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> and um, uh, 
she said, did you ring him? And he said, no, he rang me. And I said, no, Dad, you rang me. Did I? And suddenly I was slightly less impressed. And then he said, well, he, he, said, he said, no, I didn't. And I said, Dad, you, you did, you rang me. And then he, he said something which I thought was, was really, um, it showed a, 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 you know, a considerable amount of, of, um, uh, of logic. He said, well, you said you sent me a video. And so I looked at my phone and thought, well, where is it? And I saw a camera in the corner, so I just pressed that. Now, of course, anyone who uses WhatsApp will know that, that starts a video call. But for, for Daddy, he just thought, well, there's a video somewhere out there. Where is it? I'm going to press the video button. Perfect logic. And I said, actually, that, that makes a lot of sense, your thought process. But he was, he was faced with a device. And we've all been there. When we buy something new, it could be a TV or a laptop or a phone. It could be anything. And the first thing you want to do is, is do all the amazing things you know it's capable of doing. But you've got the series of buttons, and there's not much in the way of instructions. And you don't know how to plug it in, how to charge it, how to download software. And, you, you know it can do something, you know it's going to be amazing when it's working properly, but you just don't quite know how to get started. And that's where the disciples are in Acts chapter 1. They know, they know that something amazing is, is on the verge of happening. They know that this, this series of ideas and instructions that Jesus has given them, they, they, if they get it right, this can be the start of something incredible, but they're, they're just not quite sure what to do. They've been told, haven't they, back in, um, in, in the book of Luke, in Luke 17, verse 20, we're told that Jesus, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And so, these sort of statements were, were bubbling around in the disciples' minds. Well, okay, so the kingdom of God isn't, isn't something physical, it's something that's in us. If it's in our midst, then it's already here. So, what is it? What does it look like? How can, we, how can we make this happen? Are we missing the point? There was this confusion. This confusion. They were trying to work out everything that had just happened. There was also fear. There was also a great degree of fear. They were followers of Jesus, the one who recently had been, had been arrested and, and tried and crucified. We're told in John chapter 20, verse 19, it was the evening that, that Jesus first appeared to his disciples, but before we get to that bit, we're told on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. They were in a room, they had locked the doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. They were thinking, we're going to be next. There was this, this fear. They didn't want to go out and say, hey, guys, look, the kingdom of God's in our midst. It's somewhere around us. Who's going to help us find it? Because they thought, well, I could be the next one being nailed to a cross and left to die. There was confusion. There was fear. They knew there was something good, but it felt just out of reach. Just out of reach. Sometimes we, we can still find that today. We can look at all the promises of Scripture and we can look at our reality and say, well, the two just don't add up. I'm struggling to, to align the, the promises of Scripture, the goodness of God, a God who's all-powerful, 
with what's going on in the world. <coughs> the two things just don't seem to make sense together. And so we find ourselves in Acts chapter 1. Now Jesus, he gathers with his disciples. And Acts, of course, is written by Luke, who wrote Luke's gospel. And at the start of Luke's gospel and at the start of the book of Acts, Luke really reiterates the fact that he, he wants to to record a his, as historically accurate as possible an account of what happened. Luke was, he was something along the lines of a doctor. He had knowledge of medicine. He had knowledge of, of, um, of study. He was an intelligent guy. He was a researcher. And he knew, he knew that what was going on in the world, what was going on in, in, in Israel, in Jerusalem at that time, was of vital importance. It had to be recorded. These things had to be written down. Luke says, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered round him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So is this going to be the moment when, when you, you lead Israel in an uprising against the, the Romans? Are we going to be sort of the, the next empire? For them, this was a, a massive statement. Are we, going to be, are we going to be the ones in power? Are you going to be our king, going to be leading us? Is that, what's going to, is that what is going to happen? But Jesus... Here's that, and says, well, <laughs> you're thinking too small. You're thinking of, of wiping out the Roman Empire. You're thinking of, of taking, taking control. You're thinking too small. It's not for you to know the time or dates that my father's set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. But it doesn't stop there. You will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. But it doesn't stop there. You'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is a, this is a movement going from, from local, locally focused to being globally focused. This is when Jesus suddenly says, look, this is the task that you're going to have. You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You're not going to stop. There's echoes of the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just when they're about to say, great, that sounds amazing. How? What, what should we do? Where do we go first? Who do we talk to? What resources have we got? What role are you going to play in all this? The very next verse after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Oh, great. Thanks. You come out with this massive statement that sounds really impressive and then you do a runner or a lifter, whatever you want to call it. You disappear. You've gone. What do we do now? 
They're looking up intently into the sky when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken back from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. He will come back. Now those words we still cling to today. 2,000 years later, we still know that Jesus will come back. And we must never lose sight of that. We must never lose sight of the fact that Jesus will return. That things are not perfect on earth. But that we have this, this charge to carry on the work of Jesus. The work, the mission that was given to those disciples. To carry on that work. They've handed down the baton from generation to generation to generation. And so we find ourselves here today at NCBC carrying that baton along with all the other churches in Norwich, along with all the other churches in the UK, and indeed, to the ends of the earth. That's the, char- that's the task that we've got. He will come back. And then, presumably, these two men dressed in white also disappeared. What are you going to do? Well, the apostles returned to Jerusalem. We're told it was around about a whole day's walk from the Mount of Olives Olives to Jerusalem. And so they walk from there back into the city. No Jesus, no angels, just discussing what they're going to do. Discussing whether or not Jerusalem is safe, where they're going to go. Maybe even discussing how we're going to reach the ends of the earth. Where are the ends of the earth? Does the earth have ends? But this is where we begin to get to the point where we can learn something from the early church. Now, I just want to pause here because I'm always a little bit cautious when people start talking about the early church because we can make the mistake of saying, well, we need to get back to how the early church did it as if the early church got everything absolutely spot on, as if they had this perfect model of church that we've drifted away from. And let's be absolutely clear, that wasn't the case. That was not the case. That's a bit like saying, well, my car's broken down, so I'm going to go and rebuild Stevenson's rocket, because that was the first moving locomotive, and and clearly that was the best one. You just wouldn't do it, would you? And so... Let's not hold up the early church as a model of the perfect church. It wasn't. The second that that human beings got involved in in the mission of God, right back in Genesis, it all begins to go pear-shaped. And the church is no different. There were problems and there were politics right from the word go. But what we can learn from, what we can learn from, is a lot of their attitudes, a lot of their thought processes, and sometimes also from their mistakes. The early church has a lot to teach us, but let's not hold it up as the perfect model of church. But before they get to church, we're told that they arrived back in Jerusalem, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Eleven of them. They all joined together constantly in prayer. So, this is the first thing they did. 
in the midst of this confusion and this prayer, sorry, this fear, the midst of the confusion and the fear, not knowing what to make of Jesus' words, not knowing what the future was going to hold, what's the first thing we're told that they did? They joined together. They joined together. That's so important for us. One of the problems that the church, certainly nationally, maybe even globally, faced post-COVID was that there was an awful lot of people who said, well, actually, my church is online now. And I've got other commitments on Sunday mornings and, and through the week, um, you know, prayer meetings and things like that. We can do it all online, and it's great. Now, it is great. We have people who physically can't get to church, and church online is, is really important. There will be people right now who are watching the live stream. And that is fantastic. And you are still part of our church because of what the technology gives us. And we're so grateful that you still are part of our church. And we pray for you and we love it. It's great. It's important. But if we've used technology just to make church a bit more convenient, that actually, well, I love a Sunday morning laying, or I love going and playing football, or I love spending time just around the house watching a bit of TV and stuff. I can catch up with church any time. Then we lose something. We lose the essence of what church is. You see, I, I was at a minister's conference a, a few years ago and um, we were sitting having breakfast one morning and, and um, there was a, a couple, I was, I was with three or four other ministers and, and someone was talking about their church and some, another minister said, so what sort, of, what sort of size is your church? It sounds like you do an awful lot. And um, the response was, well, um, we get about 30 people to our coffee morning, and we get about um, 25 coming to the, the toddler group, and we run um, a, a children's event, and we get about 15 to 20 coming to that. And then the minister had f first asked the question, said, well, what, what, what about Sunday morning? Well, we about 12 to 15 people. And the minister who had first asked the question said, well, that's your church. That's the gathered ecclesia. Don't, don't try and add to your numbers by counting everyone who comes to your coffee morning and your, 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 your toddler groups and your children's activities. And they're, kind of, they're the people you're reaching out to. And it's amazing that with that small number of people on a Sunday morning, you're, you're doing that. That's amazing. That's brilliant. That's, you know, that's fantastic. But, but let's not, we're not playing a game of, you know, well, my church is bigger than yours, which is always a danger at ministers' conferences. We're about 600 people, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> But you see, we're not playing that game. He said, no, 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 let's be realistic. Let's be honest here. The church is the gathered ecclesia. There is something powerful and something spiritual, something at the heart of church when we come together and we share together and we pray together and we experience the presence of God together. That is church. And it's no coincidence for me that the first thing the first thing that they did when they got back to Jerusalem, the apostles, is that they joined together. They could have, they could have separated. They could have said, well, look, if we're, if we're all just keep ourselves to ourselves, disappear into the crowd, we're not going to be at risk. We're going to be far harder to find. But no, they stayed together because there is something powerful in joining together. They stayed constantly in prayer. Again, just before Christmas, we had our week of prayer. And it was wonderful. And it was great. There's something so special about coming together to pray, to be together. 
Listening to God, talking to God, sharing our heart with God, and doing that as part of a group of like-minded individuals. Later on, Paul writes that we should pray continually. In 1 Thessalonians, pray continually. Prayer should be sort of an ongoing conversation with God, something that, something that we do out of habit as much as anything. You wouldn't walk into a room and completely ignore someone, unless you didn't like them. But we don't just like God, we love God. God is our, our heavenly Father, he's our creator, he's, he, he's, he's our... He's our, our life giver. How often do we walk into a room and completely blank him? We should pray continually. And that's another lesson that we learn from the way that the early church sets themselves up. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they join together constantly in prayer. So first of all, there was Unity. And there was prayer. There was inclusivity as well. They joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So this wasn't just the, the, the disciples, the apostles saying, whoa, it's, it's his, this is just the, the first 11. You know, Jesus' starting lineup. We're the ones in this upper room. You lot can... We'll call on you as and when we need you. This was everybody together, everybody who followed Jesus, coming together, supporting one another. And so they were inclusive. This was not an exclusive group. This was an inclusive group. And then in verse 15, we see something quite remarkable, which is very easy to miss. Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. 120? I've always imagined that in that, in that room, in that group, there was just the 11 plus Mary and one or two hangers-on, a couple of groupies. But no, 120 people. You see, we've already seen growth. These are witnesses to the risen Christ. Paul writes elsewhere that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. 120 of them were in Jerusalem, along with the disciples. And so already things are happening. Already numbers are growing. This movement is beginning to, to take shape, to gather momentum. It's difficult to hide 120 people. But they stayed together. They prayed together. They supported one another. They started working out what they should be doing together. You know what? This was the first church. This was church taking shape before our very eyes. Peter stood up. And he says, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. There's no finger pointing. There's no, well, hang on, look, who, who made him treasurer? I didn't want him treasurer. I abstained from that vote. We're better off without Jesus. Who'd appoint someone like Judas? There's none of that. Instead, it's just, right, face facts. Judas was part of us. 
The scriptures spoke about what was going to happen, and it happened. Let's not dwell on that. We need to move on. How can we prepare ourselves for the future mission of what Jesus wants us to be doing? For it's written, may another take his place of leadership. They acknowledge that with Judas gone, there's only 11 disciples. There needs to be 12 disciples for the, for the work of Jesus to be continued. 12 is, is a biblical number, the 12 tribes of Israel. Here we have Peter recognizing this. Well, 11's no good, that's not complete. We need a 12th member. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time since the Lord the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so we learn from this that there were people who, right from, from, the, from when John was baptizing, when Jesus walked up to the banks of the River Jordan, right from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, there were people who hadn't been called as disciples, hadn't been instructed, follow me, Instead, they had been, been with him, watching, seeing, absorbing, learning, listening, experiencing Jesus. I think sometimes our vision of, of, of Jesus is too small. Our, our picture of Jesus is that there was sometimes just one lonely Jesus wandering around teaching and preaching and healing and performing miracles. Sometimes we imagine him with, with 12 followers. But there were more. People who saw what he was doing, who saw the, the, the sky open, who heard the, the voice of God, who saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove on that day and there and then thought, I'm following him. Two men are nominated. Joseph, called Barsabas, and Matthias. Then this, this whole group, they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take over the apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. This is preparation. They didn't know what was coming, but they wanted to be properly prepared. It strikes me that there's quite a lot that we can learn without falling into the trap of saying we've got to be like the early church. Actually, we can learn lessons from the early church. Firstly, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that, that we're on... We are not on the verge of, but we are part of something huge. It's so easy in churches because we meet within four walls and, and we, we forget what's going on across the world in different places of worship. We forget how Jesus is working and we don't see all the individual um, conversions and baptisms and hear the testimonies all the time. It's very easy for us, even in this day of instant technology and communication, to forget that and feel quite siloed. Look around and think... Mm. Is this it? No, this isn't it. That, that, that statement Jesus came out with is taking place to reach to the ends of the earth. There are very, very few places in the world where the gospel has not reached. We have the privilege 
and some of you were here on Friday night to hear about it, of supporting someone who, who does just that. And that's a real blessing for us as a church, to be able to support Arabella. But actually, we're involved in mission as well, right on our very doorstep. I've heard it said that Norwich is the most godless city in, in England. Don't subscribe to that personally. But that's what people say. We are part of something huge. This isn't a godless city. Maybe it's just that God's called his, his best prayer warriors to be here because he knows that it's going to be a slightly tougher nut to crack than some other places. That's what I like to think anyway. But we're on the verge of something really big. We can be excited about this. The church should be a, a, a place where we come and we feel excited, we feel encouraged, where we look into one another's eyes and we, we feel this spiritual zest that only comes from the Holy Spirit, the living God who is active in us and around us all the time. We should also be, be of that attitude where we pray continually. Prayer should be a conversation between us and God that takes place. It's not, not the formality of, 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 of sitting down and going quiet and, and focusing and then praying. Of course, there's a place for that, absolutely. I'm not knocking it, but there's equally a place for saying, uh, walking into a room and, oh, Lord, this time when I go upstairs, can you just remind me what I'm going up there for? Because this is the third time today I've forgotten to get that book. Or just anything. It might sound trivial, it might sound stupid, but God knows what's going on. God has a sense of humour. God wants to hear from us. If my son walks into a room, I hate it when he just turns around and walks out without saying anything to me. Because whatever is going on in his head, I want to know. Because most of the time, it's, it's, it's really interesting, and it's fun, and it's nice. We should be in prayer all the time. We should be inclusive. Anyone who walks in our doors, we need to be making sure that they experience the love of Jesus. That's not to say that, we, that we're a walkover and that we don't have values and principles. Of course we do. But there's a way to have those that doesn't condemn people and doesn't hurt people and doesn't make people walk back out thinking, well, they don't want me. Because Jesus wants them. And so if they walk out of our church feeling like they don't want me, that's a damning indictment on us, not on Jesus. We should be inclusive. We should seek to prepare people. We've got some people in this church who are leaders. Leaders in business, leaders in the home, leaders in friendship groups or sports clubs. We need to be tapping into that, exploring the potential. People who are going to be able to, to help to lead this church. We should be praying all the time that God will raise people up, leaders within the church. We've got a fantastic leadership team at the moment, but we need more people. Just like the early church, we should be praying, praying that God will lead us to the right people, to be future leaders within our church. And then finally, we come back to readiness. We're not going to go too far into Acts chapter 2 because that's Pentecost and that's in a few weeks. But just the first verse. When the day of Pentecost came, 
having spent all that time praying together, having been joined together, having been, um, uh, gone through the, the scriptures together, having learnt together, having voted together, ha- having elected a, a, new, um, a, a new disciple together, having done all that preparation, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. All that preparation took place. They didn't know what was going to happen, but it took place so that on the day of Pentecost, they were ready. They were ready for God to do something amazing. They hadn't waited for further direction. They'd they'd taken all their human failings and imperfections, and they'd had conversations, and there would have been a bit of conflict, and someone would have been offended, and there would have been coffee that was too strong and tea that was too weak and there would have been arguments and there would have been all sorts of discussions and the colour of the cushions would have, been, would have been one of the topics on the agenda and all of this would have happened because it was church and that's what we do in church. I bet they had a few rotors on the wall somewhere as well. But they went through all that and on the day of Pentecost they were ready. They were joined together. You see, often... We only prepare for something when we know something's going to happen. But Jesus said that when he returns, he will return like a thief in the night. And so the preparation, the preparatory work, the ongoing work of church, of making sure that we are giving our best to church, making sure that we are serving the church, making sure that we are coming together and supporting each other and praying together and enjoying church, having fun in church. The church is somewhere where we and everybody else wants to be. All that preparatory work that goes into making church the beautiful thing that God intends it to be, that's the preparation. Because what we don't want to do is be caught short when Jesus returns. Like a thief in the night. We want to be ready. We want the lamps burning brightly. We want the doors open. We want the heating on. And we want Jesus to return and say, yeah, you're not perfect, but you soon will be. But you've done a good job. This is church, and this pleases me. Over the next few weeks, we're going to take our statements. If you're not sure what they are and you want to have a look on the website, they're they're there. We're going to take each one. We're going to re-examine them. I know this has been done before as a preaching series here. I think Mark, the previous minister, went through this. But it's really important that we do that because if this is what we're telling the world we are, we need to make sure that we know that's what we are. I'm excited about this series because we're going to be looking at our church. And I, like many, many people here, love our church. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for church. We thank you for this wonderful gift that you've given us. And Lord, we, we know that we don't always get it right. We know that we don't always do church in the way that you would have it done. 
But Father, we thank you for the rich variety of churches across this city and across this country and across the whole world. Father, we thank you that there are so many different models of church which, which enable different people to, to develop their relationship with you in different ways. Father, we celebrate different, different approaches to scripture and Lord, we, we look forward. We look forward to what you're going to teach us as we go through this series building us up as a church, improving our, our effectiveness as a way of reaching out to our community. Father, we pray you will inspire us with, with new ideas, with new opportunities. Father, we pray that we will see our resources increase so that we can, we can really invest in our community and in our church and make a difference to more and more people. Father God, we thank you for the generosity of our, of our members and our regular attenders in, in the gifts that they give financially, gifts of time, gifts of talents. Father, we thank you for what you've given this church. We thank you for the generosity that we see. And we thank you, Lord, for the willingness to get stuck in and to do your kingdom work. Because we know, Lord, that, that your kingdom is in our midst Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we are constantly in your presence. There is nowhere we can go where we are not with you. But Father, we thank you for this special, special atmosphere that we find when we gather together as a church, when we worship you, when we pray together, when we share your word, when we share our hearts together. Father, we thank you for the blessings that we see and we pray we pray that that will continue and grow and build as we go through this series together. Lord God, show us what you want NCBC to be. Show us where you want us to go and bless us as we go through that process. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I'm excited. And so let's worship together as we close our service.
great is thy faithfulness. Please um, do join us for um, fellowship, for tea and coffee and refreshments after the service. We've got the cake sale going on. If you're new, then remember the VIP area. Um, We love to see new people. We love to see our regulars as well. But right now, let's pray. Father God, thank you for blessing us in so many ways. Father, thank you for the blessing of the church. And Lord, we pray that as we seek to, um, to ascertain what, what the future holds for us as a fellowship of believers in you, Lord, Jesus is our guide. He is head of this church. We, we submit to his authority. And we thank you that you sent your son into the world because you love us so much. So Lord, bless us, we pray, as we go about our day to day. Whatever lies in store for us this this week, Father, be with us. Bless us, equip us, and empower us as we go. And may we reflect your glory into every situation that we find ourselves in this week. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.